Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Before I introduce my co-host this week, big news. I want to give you a quick heads up about a change we're making to the podcast. Beginning this week, the news and restaurant segment will be released on Tuesday as a separate podcast episode from the interview segment, which will still come out on Thursday. I made this decision after speaking with a couple of people on the radio side of Gal Media, including our producer, Michael Carroll. We are doing this for a couple of reasons. First, I think people might prefer to listen to two shorter podcasts that are roughly about half an hour each, rather than one longer one that runs for about an hour. Second, I think more people might be interested in downloading the restaurant segment if we title it with the restaurants we are talking about. So we're just going to try it. We're, we're going to see how this goes. As always, I value your feedback. So if you like this idea, don't like this idea, don't care about this idea, you can always email me, eric, E-R-I-C, at culturemap.com. I'm always open to your suggestions, your feedback, your opinions. Uh, people DM me on Instagram all the time, at Eric Sandler. You can feel free to do that too. But I am I am accessible and I am open. And uh, we're, we're trying to grow the show a little bit. The numbers, the audience numbers have been very strong recently and we're trying to build on that momentum. And so I think that two episodes per week instead of one episode uh, may be just the way to do that. So we're going to try it. Thanks, as always, for listening. And with that said, let me introduce my co-host this week. He is a Houston hospitality veteran and a co-founder of the Houston Barbecue Festival. Michael Fulmer, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Welcome to the brave new world of What's Eric Eating. Let's move on to the news of the week. Topic number one, Rob Report, the luxury magazine, has named June and Navy Blue as two of America's best new restaurants. June came in 10th on the list. Navy Blue came in third. Uh, Rob Report's got a certain affection for Houston. March was on the list last year as, I think, the second best restaurant in the country. And in 2019, they named Chris Shepard the best chef in the world, which even Chris Shepard thought was a little bit silly. But it, it it's always nice to have a magazine's attention. So, Michael, let me throw it to you. What do you, what do you think about this? How meaningful do you think being on a list like the Rob Report Best New Restaurants in America is? You know, there's an old saying in the in the film industry that when you're marketing your film, you you take it to film festivals. And and if the Des Moines Film Festival gives you an award, you can then slap on your poster award winning film. Uh, You know, I'm not going to say the Rob Report is as limited as maybe the, you know, the environment of Des Moines, Iowa. But I would say it's not terribly significant. I mean, their readership is less than 100,000. It's not like a player necessarily in the food scene, you know, food and wine, which does, you know, has 7 million readers, their website, even more than that. That would be something more significant, something from the times, perhaps, that is tried and true. But there's the old adage, as, as you've often, often said, you know, any publicity is good publicity that, you know, that that moves your restaurant forward. So in that sense, it is a positive thing. How significant that effect is, I, I am dubious. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, this this best of the best list they do every year, they rank new restaurants, they rank 
the best new watches from luxury brands. They rank personal aircraft, watercraft. I mean, all this, all this crazy luxury stuff that is frankly beyond the financial means of most people. So I, I, I'm with you in the sense that it's, it's tricky to sort of gauge how, how big their readership is. Cause frankly, most people can't afford to purchase the things that they write about, but you're sort of quoting me to me. I think, I think anytime, you know, I think these nationalists generate local interest, right? Because publications like culture map love to, you know, we know that our readers love to hear about Houston in the news. So anytime we can say, Oh, look, you know, Houston's, uh, Houston's doing well nationally in, in whatever category. I think that that will motivate some segment of Houstonians to be like, Oh, yeah, June, navy blue. Oh, I haven't been there yet. Let's go. You know, let's make it a priority. Let's let's finally commit to going. So I, I think from that sense, I think locally it's valuable. And and then we can make all the jokes you want about, you know, uh, the G5 parking at Hobby is going to be full for a while as as all of these Rob <laughs> Report readers, you know, fly in to check out uh June and navy blue. I, you know, d- does that actually happen? I mean, probably not, but but it's fun to imagine. You make a good point in that it it just recycles into the food media uh, the locally, which and is just going to kind of replicate what that is, and so it gives them another cycle to get their name out there. And they're a new place, and a lot of people don't know about them. And you know, this gives a chance to to push that out more. You know, in my opinion, right. So let me just so let me just ask you one other thing, and then we'll move on from this. But were you surprised at all? to see June on the list alongside Navy blue, because I was a little bit, I, I, you know, I, I didn't have a sense maybe of whether Evelyn Garcia's experience being on top chef was going to translate into broader publicity for her restaurant. I'm not surprised at all. It's, and I think it's the better restaurant actually, (laughs) to be honest with you, June, (laughs) June is one of those meals I've had and I'm going again soon that, was like a it, it was an emotional experience you know i i don't want to go so far as to say transformative but it was like it's incredible and uh, i think it's one of the best new restaurants not just in houston but in my experience traveling in my limited experience traveling and so no surprise at all i think it's well deserved and uh any plaudits she gets here go- going forward uh have been earned uh I, that being said i think navy blue is also solid you know, Houston goes through this these these phases where we we don't have a high end seafood place. Although we talk about our proximity to the Gulf and embracing, you know, all all of that, the bounty that comes from there, uh, and then these high end places just kind of don't last. So I'm hoping it does because I love to have that, and and Houston deserves that. Right, and and you know, we've been talking about this on the show for for a while now. We're kind of in a, a seafood moment where. You know, it's not just Navy Blue, but it's also Littles. And then we can look on the horizon and we can see Clark's coming from Austin and Balboa Surf Club from the owners of El Braco and, and some other restaurants that are kind of coming down the pike. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to have an upscale seafood restaurant like Navy Blue. But I, I'm with you in the sense that, that June is a very exciting, you know, very creative restaurant that's doing some things that, that you know, I, there's not versions of its dishes i can't i can't point to you know the carne seca with grits or or the lamb curry and be like oh i'm seeing that at other restaurants you know that, that there's something uh original and special about what evelyn and her business partner henry Liu are doing that's worthy of recognition and 
and I, I do think that that this this may be the first national recognition, regional recognition for them, but it won't be the last. Like I, I would not be surprised to see it on the Texas Monthly Best New Restaurants list, you know, Food and Wine, Esquire, all all of these other kind of magazines, because she has been on Top Chef and and people really did feel drawn to her and the way she presented herself on TV. So I, you know, I'm excited to see what's next for June. Yeah. And I don't think, I think that's just an extension is that, you know, we, we talk about that phrase cook from your heart, cook from, you know, your personality. And how does that even translate? How do you interpret that? How do you even define that? You know, it's a very uh, um, ephemeral thing. And yet that's exactly what she's done there. That's what I feel there. You know, I feel an emotional attachment to the food, which is like, how does that even happen? Uh, and yet somehow I, I like, I feel like she's been very successful with that. And, um, will you know, and this is out coming right out of the blocks when, you know, there's commonly some dishes and things that don't quite work and just, it feels very refined and yet, um, personal at the same time. And that's a really, that's a very delicate balance. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to topic number two. Montrose breakfast favorite La Mexicana has claimed the former cherry block space at the stomping grounds for La Mex, a fast casual sister concept. Uh, the interesting thing is there was a, a period of time when it looked like La Mexicana was going to open La Mex kind of pre-pandemic in a different location. Those those plans got scuttled, but now they're back. And so, Michael, let me just ask you, I mean, what do you what do you kind of think about La Mexicana? as the Montrose institution. And then do you feel like a fast casual version will be a good fit for everything else that's going on in the stomping grounds? You know, we've talked about, you and I talked about Lulu's day and night on the show. You and I have both been to Hamari, the sushi restaurant. I don't think we've talked about it on air, but, but there's fat cat creamery. There's now a far restaurant there. There's, there's a lot going on. So yeah, let me, let me throw it to you. What do you think about this? I think it's a good fit. Um, it's something different. You know, the stomping grounds really starting to come into its real own. Uh, and, and you're seeing it really embraced by the community. And the times that I've been there, you know, I see it getting more and more crowded. I see the families. I see people going there and hanging out, not just kind of going in and going out. And the meals I've had at Lulu's and at Hamari have been really good. Tex-Mex always works, you know, or most of the time it works. You know, if you're a smart operator and you know how to keep your food costs proper um, and you put out a decent product, and there's no reason they're already experienced with that. So there's no reason for them not to be successful in, in, in a smaller space than what they have in Montrose, but what seems to fit there. So, you know, by all means, I, I, I see it being successful. You know, we'll see, obviously. Right. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, they're, they're going to do breakfast because they, you know, they're very well known for their, you know, weekday breakfast in, in Montrose. And, and I think that will be appealing. Obviously, they'll be open for lunch and dinner as well. You know that that family friendly, relatively affordable Friday night Tex-Mex. You can you can go out at the stomping grounds. It's got that big green space for kids to run around. You know, it's just it's very easy to imagine that being very successful in that location, uh, which is why I know the developer Revive Development was eager to get them in there, and and why La Mexicana was so excited to to sign on. It's it seems like a a very uh, uh, a mutually beneficial relationship. Daddy, it's a win-win. It's a win-win. All right. Topic number three, speaking of Tex-Mex, Cyclone Anaya's announced that it will replace Frank's Americana Revival on Westheimer. 
Franks is closing June 30th ahead of its move this fall to the Alexan River Oaks on Wesleyan. Now, Michael, I mean, we, you know, I was I was sort of thinking about this. We know that Houstonians have a seemingly limitless appetite uh, for Tex-Mex restaurants, but that stretch of of kind of Westheimer, Greenway Plaza, Upper Kirby is loaded uh, with existing options. You know, it's it's uh, it's going to be right in between Escalante and Highland Village, uh, Chewy's at Kirby and Westheimer. Uh, if you go south a little bit, there's Valentina's Tex-Mex that opened uh, on 59 right next to Lakewood Church and the Mercedes dealership. Uh, if you go down to Richmond and Kirby, that's that's the Tex-Mex tri- uh, triangle with Papacitos, Picos and El Tiempo across the freeway to Buffalo Speedway and West Park. You've got the new Los Tios that just opened. And then Mikosina from Dallas is coming to where Seasons 52 used to be right next to River Oaks District. So it's a lot. It's a lot. But but what do you think? I mean, Cyclone Anaya's, you know, it's a, it's a historic Tex-Mex brand. It's been around since the 60s. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those restaurants. The one on Shepherd is, is I saw Billy Gibbons there once, which seems significant somehow, maybe. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, if it's good enough for ZZ Top, it's good enough for me, I think is what I'm telling you. <laughs> The celebrity endorsement takes celebrity it to the next endorsement. Level. But what do you what do you think about all this? Well, Cyclonias has you know what's interesting is they have a very loyal clientele. Uh, I think when they opened up on um, the Shepherd Durham area, right there by I ten, you know, in the sort of the the Heights South Heights area, um, like they now have like brass plates for the regulars who come in every day. Like the people who come in that often. Uh, you know, it's not just kind of this, this little thing they're doing. Um, it's been very successful in the one in Midtown, too. And so there's no reason why I don't think, you know, the people who travel to the other ones will say, oh, well, I've got this one now. Um, when Jason is Jason Gould still with them? No, long gone. He's with Common Bond. Yeah, okay, I thought so. I thought he was gone. Yeah. But he really streamlined, you know, and really brought them uh, into a more contemporary vein without changing the basis of what makes them successful. You know, it's, it's by all by all metrics, it seems to be a well-run company. And so is there room for it? Of course it is. And if you've ever traveled down Westheimer at almost any point of the day, whether it's daytime or early evening or later evening, you know, nobody wants to take a left on that because it's so busy, even with a turn lane. So suddenly having the option where you don't have to make that turn lane is as silly and maybe as absurd as that sounds. I think it's actually significant. I think people will choose that like, well, I know they're good. I don't have to like spend that extra time waiting in line to take a left. I'll go there. You know, uh, Americans love convenience, you know, and this, this kind of delves right into that of being like one, a well-known property being one that does, you know, good tried and true, you know, menu. And, uh, I'm not taking a left. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's all well said. And, and I will say Cyclone and I is it's, it's part of the, you know, the Danani Group, this big Sugarland-based hospitality company. Uh, they also own La Madeline. They own a whole bunch of fast food restaurants. But what I think is interesting is that they're really going for it. They're, they're trying to create something really special. Uh, they're working with Gin Design Group uh, on the interior renovation. They're going to create a patio, which is something that space uh, hasn't had before. So it's going to look, I think it's going to look really nice. I think it's going to it's going to feel kind of elegant. I, I think they they kind of understand you know, it needs to position itself 
in a similar footing with places like Escalante and Mikosina. And, and so I, I think, you know, this is, this is like you said, this is a successful company or a successful restaurant. That's part of a, a big, very successful restaurant group. They're, they're not, they're not messing around. I mean, they're going to come with, you know, guns blazing and, and, uh, give it everything they've got to be successful in this location. Well, I mean, it's Highland Village. It is River Oaks. I mean, if they put something really basic in there, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to get people who want to hang out. And part of what, you know, what makes, at least in my eyes, what kind of, it's in some way, in a small way, separates cyclonizes. People tend to like to go there and hang out and they'll go there for drink, you know, go there to eat and then maybe have drinks and, and wait for a while. And, and that's if you're going to keep that crowd there, then you've got to give them an environment they want to stay in. So I think your point is well made. Absolutely. All right, Michael, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. Michael, for our restaurants of the week, I want to start with Andiron. This is the steakhouse slash live fire concept from Sandbrook's management, the owners of Candente in the pit room. I know I talked about Andiron some with Mary Clarkson a few weeks ago, but you you were kind of my co-host where we talk about steakhouses. You you've worked at steakhouses. You like going to steakhouses. You you are my you are my friend that I most frequently eat steak with. So let me just. Uh, let me just throw it to you. I mean, you know, you and I have eaten there twice now, once at their invitation, then again for my my birthday a few weeks ago. So, you know, what did you what did you think about Andiron and and how it kind of slots in with some of the other steakhouses in town? Man, I, I think it's one of the best new restaurants to hit Houston. You know, this year uh, I was really impressed, and and you and I have talked about this privately. That you know, like, what is the difference between steakhouse and live fire? You know the the model for the high-end steakhouse, you know, the leather booths, the comfortable chairs, the heavy amounts of brass, you know, the the prime steaks across, maybe some dry age, maybe they offer Wagyu on the, you know, as a special kind of thing. And then the kind of the phone book um, wine list that's completely top heavy with California Cabernets and first and second growth Bordeaux. I mean, that's that's the formula. And I think that formula will always work for a long time going forward. Um, but, you know, if you really want to make a splash, if you want to kind of separate yourself from the pack, this is the way to do it. Uh, you know, you bringing in a chef who understands something more than just these basic proteins. But then there's the, 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 the element of you can't go too far off what the, you know, what the norm is, you know, otherwise you're, you're not, you're moving yourself away from that. Uh, and you're potentially losing also your uh, expense account uh, diners. But that being said, this is a great place for that, for expense accounts. It's a great place for a date. It's a great place for a celebration, as you and I found out. Um, and they're really doing proteins just beautifully. They're not just offering, okay, we're going to have the A5 Wagyu. You can't just do that anymore. Now they're having, you can get the snow beef, the olive beef, you know, these different things. Um, their sides are a little bit different. It's not just your basic, oh, cream spinach and potatoes au gratin. Uh, it's something more. 
and and judging from that, I guess uh, this this palm, this potato dish they do the palm and end, you you take one look at it, and if you've worked in a restaurant, you know there are hours of prep going into that. But if you haven't, it doesn't matter. It's delicious. It's this. It's got a crispy, you know, edge that's that's been uh, sliced out. But then you get the heart of the potato. There's just enough creaminess to it. It's just it's one of the, it's it's a great side and. Looking at it, I know they spend a lot of energy on the prep for it, and it all shows. It's all worth it. Um, another thing that I think is worth noting is when you walk in, it's a stunningly beautiful restaurant. You look at the light fixtures, the seating. It's all been very carefully chosen and well chosen. I mean, it's beautiful. It's individual. It doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like cookie cutter high end luxury. It feels like someone had a vision and a, and a and a sense of taste, and it really comes through. Um, you know, we talk, you know, it, it's when you talk about like, oh, it, a restaurant, maybe it costs this much. Well, whatever figure you throw at me, it really, it's they, the money is in the front there. It's, you can see it and you can see it on the menu and that all makes it very appealing. No, I, I, I think that that's all very well said. I think, you know, I, I was talking to another mutual friend of ours who, who went there recently and he was saying, you know, they're really leaning into quality ingredients straightforward preparation and really letting the flavors and everything just kind of shine through. And so it's not, they don't have like a 10 ounce ribeye and a 12 ounce ribeye and a 16 ounce ribeye. They have one really great individual sized ribeye. They have one uh, larger ribeye that's designed for sharing. They have one strip, they have the picanha, you know, they're, they're keeping it kind of really focused and like, this is the best strip that we can source and serve to you. And, and and I respect that a lot. And and they're leaning in the luxury. I mean, you know, we had that that caviar buckwheat souffle, uh, very decadent, very over the top caviar presentation. You know, we did a Wagyu flight. So it's not just, you know, they don't just have Wagyu, right? They have four different kinds of Wagyu and you can taste two or three of them and compare and decide which one you like better. You know, really leaning into that, that luxury aspect, that really creating a, a curated experience for people. So I think I think in a lot of ways what they're doing is really exciting because we do have a lot of steakhouses with you know very similar menus and and of course you know they have to have whipped potatoes they have to have cream spinach they have to have a you know a caesar salad and 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 all that but you know this is kind of that rare steakhouse where you know if you don't want steak you know if you want to lean into seafood if you want to do the dry aged duck you can go that route and and they're very satisfied Agreed completely. I mean, the only place you're seeing this kind of menu, you know, this is the first to like you're seeing it really kind of in Houston, I think. Uh, if you go to someplace like Macau or Singapore or Vegas, that's where you'll see more of this, like, like I said, the multiple Wagyu tastings at prices that are going to be easily two to three times higher than what they are here. I mean, these are places that are in environments where their money is not being made from the restaurant, but from usually in many cases, you know, gambling sources or, or resort sources so that they can like really throw this kind of luxury thing in there. Um, if you tripled or doubled, doubled or tripled these prices, then you're, you're, the place is not going to survive. Uh, there's just not enough for that here, but it really fits the Houston market and sets themselves apart. Uh, you, you could still get a cream spinach there. You can still get the whipped potatoes, but then you have, like we said, the, the palm and ah, uh, that maitake, that mushroom tart, that once again, you can really see the amount of effort they put into that. The, uh, the beef rib au poivre, 
now, the one thing that um, all the people I've talked to, it's just many of my friends, uh, people that you and I know also, um, I've, never, I've yet to talk to anyone who's had the whole grilled turbo. Uh, this is a $100 plus fish. That's I think it says on the menu for two. I've, I'm really curious. I want to go try it, but I've yet to talk to anyone who's had it. Have you talked to anyone who's had it? No, I, I have not talked to anyone who's had it. You know, they uh, that's been on the menu. We have we haven't had a chance to try it yet. There's a, you know, they they do a lobster that we also haven't had a chance to try yet. So there are there are still a few dishes yet to yet to explore. I'm I'm sure we'll get there. I'm sure we'll get back there. In fact, because uh, we had two very good meals there, and I and I look forward to going back again. Yeah, I hope it survives. I hope I hope it finds a, a footing there. You mean the turbo, not the uh... yeah, yeah. I mean the turbo. You know, so kind of one offset to to set them apart from just the standard proteins of beef, duck, and lobster. Right. Uh, any other thoughts on this? Oh, no, just but the service is great. Um, I know that like Michael Sandbrook's the owner. Like he closed down seventeen fifty one, and he was able to kind of roll that staff over in there. So he already had in many cases a. a an almost a full staff that was, I wouldn't say necessarily trained for the menu, but certainly having worked for the company that that puts them a step up as opposed to just kind of picking from the community or trying, you know, cherry picking or or trying to you know get them from other places. Uh, I think that that service really showed that you know that from the bar to the floor to the to the the wine director, uh, it, it's a good crew, uh, and that speaks well of them all also. Yeah. And, you know, we, you know, we don't usually get too far into beverages, but, you know, the wine list has a broad range of choices on it at different price points that the cocktails were very well executed. Um, You know, like you said, it's a beautiful restaurant. It looks good. It feels good in there. The lighting, you know, the lighting's right. The, you know, the seats are comfortable that, that, that lighting fixture above the bar that it's, you know, 15 feet long or 20 feet long or however long it is really catches your eye. I mean, it, it just, you can tell that a lot of thought was put into all aspects of this restaurant. And, yeah. and I think that's that, you know, that kind of ambition to really like, yes, they serve steak and yes, steak is at the heart of what they do, but, but to, to bring a fresh perspective to it, uh, to all aspects of it. I think that's, what's the most exciting thing for me. Yeah. I, I think the key word you use there is the ambition. Um, I see it all there and I, I hope, I hope Houston embraces it. Absolutely. All right. And then for our second restaurant, I want to talk to you about the Blind Goat. This is Christine Ha's Vietnamese restaurant. It started as a stand at Bravery Chef Hall. Now it is a full service restaurant in Spring Branch in the same shopping center as Fiji's Barbecue. Michael, I mean, let me let me just uh, let me just ask you, what did you what did you think about our meal at the Blind Goat? Well, we went on a Sunday and they were they were full by the time we were there even their large top was full uh all the tables and every seat at the bar was full everyone eating and i'm not waiting for a table but eating uh there was even a few tables outside in the houston weather which is crazy but there they were and that really that speaks volumes that someone's willing to you know kind of stick it out in the the, that humid uh weather and say okay i'm gonna have my meal here because i really want to eat here um it's a pretty restaurant uh you know it's well thought out without this intense amount of like okay they threw just a lot of money at it it's well spent but it just made some smart choices of how to separate the restaurant instead of putting walls you know they have those large ropes coming down which give it a some sense of separation but at the same time 
you can still see the whole space. And and that's kind of that's a smart interior design that's way beyond anything I know how to do. Um, to be sure. Yeah, right. Because it, it right, you're you know that's well said. Because it could just be a big box, right? But they have these kind of rope installations and and some other design details, you know, some interior you know columns and such that kind of break up the room and yeah. and make it feel like you know there's different dining areas. You know, we were at a a banquet along the wall. There's like you said, there's sort of central tables. The bar area is very well defined, uh, and then it does have that covered patio, which. You know, despite the weather, we we did see a couple people uh, willing to sweat through their dinners and and kind of hang out out there. So, uh, in terms of the food, what what stood out for you? Um, something really basic, which which was the uh, crawfish and garlic noodles. You know, we're just dealing with pasta and gra- and crawfish. You know, I think there's a, a little touch of parmesan, a little lemon zest. That's a very basic dish, but it was executed perfectly and was delicious. Uh, very satisfying. Could go back and just have that. The goat curry was a little muted, I thought, in its flavor and texture, kind of one note. Uh, that was actually a little disappointing because I love goat. Uh, you know, there's lemongrass on it, uh, in it, and that didn't really, you know, hit real hard. Uh, I guess the green papaya salad I enjoyed too. That was kind of refreshing. There was that one dish that got sent out to us. I'm not sure how is it. It's, bon the, it's the, I believe it's boncot. Yeah, don't don't hold me to that. Is that how it's, it's pronounced? Bon yeah. It it, it looked. You know, I like the 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 colors and the textures how it looked, but it looked really like okay, this is some shrimp on these little cakes. It looked kind of okay, but then when you tasted it, when you wrapped it in the lettuce, which it probably needs more lettuce for that because there's there's less lettuce than it is for wrapping. But anyway, uh, the fish sauce was just perfect. That's like one of those dishes that I would never have realized how much I was going to like by just looking at it. I it's probably my favorite dish of the night, actually. No, it, it it it's a real standout, and and I know it's one of Christine's kind of signatures, but it it's such a great dish, right? Because you've got the the crispy crepe, you've got the the sweet shrimp, you've got the the tang from the the sour from the fish sauce, uh, the the herbs and the vegetables and the way everything kind of the textures all kind of crunch together. Uh, just a a very delicious dish. You mentioned the goat curry. I, I'm kind of with you. I thought, you know, I don't quite have the cultural background to know like you know, where a Vietnamese curry stands in relation to, to other cultures curries. But, you know, I just, I needed a little bit more from that, but, but, you know, certainly the crawfish and garlic noodles, certainly the boncot, uh, the egg rolls and, and that, that kind of fun appetizer that, that builds your own kind of banh mi uh, board with the toasted, uh, the toasted bread and, and the pate and the, and the crispy pork and the, and the vegetables. I, I thought that was a really fun way to kind of eat that dish in in an, presented in a, a different way. I like, I enjoyed it as an appetizer. You know, uh, when I see the word deconstruct out of here, uh, don't make me jump through hoops and play your little song and dance games. You know, the stuff from the late nineties that is just, you know, to me absurd. So as a like shared appetizer, I thought it worked really well. Like if I was going, Oh, I want to bomb me. And I went and had that by myself. I probably less, I think it's, it's a great shared item. So it works in that context. Uh, the crudo was a beautiful looking dish. I think it was amberjack that we had. Uh, you know, just you know, talk about Instagram ready. It really is. But it was kind of one note. Without the Thai chilies, it would have been a, almost a fail. I mean, our our friend, you know, Matt Harris, who talks about crudos being kind of binary for him. Either they really work or they don't. Uh, this was right on the balance of not working. Uh, it, I thought it needed some acid. Or, uh, and, and maybe that crudos from the Vietnamese culture are a little more like that. And maybe it's time to 
move my taste a little bit closer to that. That could be because uh, I always love raw fish and crudo of any sorts, agua chilies, you know, all of it, bring it on. Uh, so, but the Thai chilies really kind of saved the dish in my book. Yeah, the Thai chilies kind of perked it up. And I, I thought, you know, I thought the fish, you know, it kind of allowed the flavor of the fish to shine through. Maybe maybe another squirt of lemon would have, or lime would have taken it, would have lifted it up a little bit. But, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, I was super happy with the egg rolls. I, I thought, you know, they were crispy, they were flavorful. It's like, you know, it's, I, you know, I go to I go to Vietnamese restaurants kind of craving egg rolls always. And, and these were a very good version of them. Also, the service, the service was, they were packed. And our food came out in a pretty timely manner. Our server really knew, like, she was able to answer the questions about it. Uh, you know, and there was a, definitely a team aspect going on there. Everyone, there wasn't, I didn't feel like like some some stranger was coming up and kind of auctioning off food. They knew where it went. They knew what was going on. That's a really good sign. That's a, that's a well-trained staff. Um, uh, even from the front desk, you know, the, they, you know, they didn't have, they didn't, sometimes, you know, you walk into a place and you'll see, you know, usually someone rather young and looking when the place gets full and they get kind of flustered. They were very, there was two of them. They were very calm. They, they, they handled it well. You know, that all speaks very well, too, of a well-run operation, that they're not just paying their staff well. And that is, that's really good. And if they're busy, then hopefully they're all making money and will stay there, too. So that all speaks well to it. That whole center really is coming around. And that's exciting for the Spring Branch area. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, Fiji's Barbecue has been kind of holding it down. And, and unfortunately, Shoot the Moon didn't work out. But that's about to be replaced by a Barnaby's. Uh, you know, Junior Ramen just opened there. Uh, they've got the coffee spot, Slowpokes, that's, that's been there uh, for a little while now. Uh, Hondo is coming from the Heights for their second location. So, yeah, a lot of exciting stuff uh, happening in that center. And, and of course, you know, Blind Goat, Christine and her husband, John, they just opened Stuff Belly, their, their new uh, drive-thru sandwich shop that we, we haven't had a chance to try yet. But I'm, I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure in the coming weeks, like, will be a topic of discussion on this podcast. I'll, I'll absolutely go back for that. Uh, absolutely. What do you think of the dessert? You know, it's like, that's the, the dish that really, you know, sometimes there's chefs who come along and they build their names. And sometimes there's a dish that just propels them. Of course, this is what won the competition for her. What did you think of the, uh, the rubbish apple pie a la mode? Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I recognize that, that that is one of the dishes that uh, Christine made on MasterChef that has been kind of the core of her reputation. You know, I, I think on some level I would have just rather been a regular apple pie. Like I, I thought I thought the flavors were there, but but the presentation was uh, you know, it's rubbish, so it looks like a little bit deconstructed. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think and I and I think like I, I would have just rather had a regular slice of apple pie, to be honest with you. But uh but I like the way it tasted and I would probably order it again. Yeah, that kind of like uh, the little bit of the star anise that comes through the lemongrass, and I've I've had it before. Yeah, I, I'm not enthralled with the, the presentation either, but I think it's smart. You know, she calls it that. So when it comes out, kind of just like the sort of mess on the on the on the plate with the ice cream, I, I find it to be really satisfying uh, and something that that speaks to her. So, you know, keep it. That being said, it is hard to find a really good scoop of uh, apple pie in this town at a restaurant. You know, outside of like Barnaby's, uh, I'm always open to hearing about where they are. So throw it at me. Yeah, feel free to uh, former HOU on Instagram. Slide into Michael's DMs and tell him where you should go be. You should be eating apple pie. Uh, Michael, I'm going to say that does it for the and, and then and then you know what we always no go ahead. 
Well, I would say this in closing, you know, the one thing that we, we talk about with the restaurant, like, would you go back? And absolutely, I would enthusiastically go back. Oh, uh, no, me too. Me too. I, I enjoyed our dinner. Uh, there's there's that whole turmeric fish that we we didn't get to. And there's a there's a ribeye, uh, kind of a Bo Luplock pre- presentation uh, that we didn't get to try. So those are that's the uh, that's the blind goat surf and turf that I'm I'm going to I'm going to look to uh, to try on my next visit, I think. Absolutely. All right, Michael, I'm going to say that does it for the restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me. So that does it for this episode of What's Eric Eating. Come back on Thursday when I will talk to Chef Jane Weil. Thanks so much for listening.